Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. My guest, Chandra Bishop, is running for Urbana City Council. It's great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you for joining me today, Chandra. Hey, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I can speak for everyone we know when I say how disappointed we were when you didn't win the election for the Champaign County coroner. You turned around and realized Ward 5 of the Urbana City Council needs you. What made you decide to run for this position? The whole year of 2020 kind of was an awakening for a lot of us. There was such a push for more than the status quo for more than what we're receiving from our community elected officials now. And so I saw the needs of the community and I knew that my path wasn't over yet. So yes, despite the loss in the corners race, I still have more to give to my community. And when the current alderman said he wasn't running anymore, I thought, hey, this is a sign. It felt serendipitous. Urbana is such a unique city. I love the diversity of people here. There's like an eclectic mix of personalities and characters of the people who live here. And so I thought I would bring my experience as a community collaborator, a public health professional to Urbana and to Urbana City Council to bring a more diverse representation to the council. Tell me a little bit about Ward 5. It doesn't have to be the exact parameters of it, but what area of Urbana are we talking about? It's a big ward, actually. So I'm up near the expressway on Cunningham. So it kind of goes a little bit beyond that, where Farm and Fleet is up that way, all the way down by the city building in downtown Urbana toward the Walmart in Urbana, toward that area. So it's geographically really big and diverse. There are two and a half precincts that it makes up. And I think it covers the broad spectrum of the whole socioeconomic status, I think, including people of all walks of life, essentially, because you've got the nursing home in the ward, you've got the Ivanhoe community in the ward, you've got, as I said, up here on Airport Road, that subdivision. So I think it's a very incredible mix of people. In your announcement to run, you say, quote, racism is a public health issue. Poverty is a public health issue. Police brutality is a public health issue. Affordable housing, also a public health issue. There's so much more we could be doing better as a community, and I remain committed to making things better. Where do you even begin? Which one do you start with, or are they all intertwined so you have to unpack them all at the same time? They really are all intertwined. And that's the beauty of it, I think, and also kind of the downfall of it as well. Because if you look at, say, for instance, housing, housing should be safe, affordable, and accessible to everyone. With everyone having safe and affordable housing, they can escape the current raging pandemic. They have food, they have water, shelter to keep them safe from like outdoor elements and that sort of thing. It really is all intertwined, especially dealing with homelessness, dealing with access to community resources, because a lot of things that the community resources offer, sometimes you need an address for that. And so all of that is sort of intertwined together and can fall under public health as well. Let's talk about the recent resolution to end structural racism and achieve racial equality in Urbana. For example, the use of force policy for Urbana Police Department is being revised, but you don't think it goes far enough. In working with the Urbana Police Department, what are the next steps in achieving racial equality? 
I'm glad that the resolution has been brought up and put forth because the first step in dismantling structural racism is admitting that there's an issue, right? And oftentimes when we don't even know that there's a problem, we can't come up with solutions to find it or resolve it. And so by presenting this resolution, it's sort of like making commitments that you'll be making decisions and putting forth policies that look through that lens of social and racial equity. So I think the next steps would be reviewing all of the current policies to see if they encompass everyone, if they impact one minority community over others, and just making sure that people are being treated as fairly as everyone else. And so I think that going further and holding people accountable, police officers are accountable for their behaviors and actions. That's kind of where the start is. People mostly fear the police because they don't see that they're being held accountable for their actions. And so by putting more into the reform, the police reform policy, that is a way to create a better experience for people in our community. That dovetails nicely into my next question. On your website, you say that ending racism and achieving equality is a community effort. The community must be involved. We want to be involved. What can we do as a community to help in this effort? I think when you see a situation that doesn't look right, doesn't feel right to you, there are so many times people, bystanders, see incidents between a community resident and say a police official that happened and they just ignore it or they don't feel it's their place to intervene. Sometimes you have to take that chance to intervene and help that person. I know a lot of people film things now. We didn't have that 20 years ago, 10 years ago even. You do have the right to film the police. And especially if you think they may be doing something wrong, sometimes that is the evidence that's needed to show to the police themselves that maybe we should be doing this a different way. Talking to your elected officials about the types of things that you want to see changed within the community and the police department. Talking to the people who are most affected by discrimination with, within the police force, seeing what can be done for them to feel more comfortable. Oftentimes, when policies are enacted or written, they didn't get that information from the source, sort of say. It's hard to come up with a solution for someone else. And that's why I think it's a community effort, because you have to bring in those affected by what's going on and hear their side of the story, how they think that things should be done to make the situation better. You recently got your COVID vaccine, and there will be members of your ward that are distrustful of a new vaccine. What kind of information and what kind of conversations will you have to get members of your community to trust the vaccine? That is such an important question. As a public health professional, I know I've read all the history, especially when it relates to minorities and the healthcare system and our government. There is a lack of trust there. And by getting the shot and telling people that I've got the shot, hopefully will make them reconsider and build trust around getting the shot. The thing that I can do is share my experience with other people. I got the shot on Friday. My arm ached a little bit yesterday, but today, I mean, I'm moving it. It doesn't feel bad at all. So I think that sharing our experiences and also telling people the benefits of getting this shot, we long for the pre-COVID world 
you know how we get there by vaccinating as many people as we possibly can. So I think that being a minority myself and then being able to share my story with others. I even have very close friends that are like, mm, I don't know, I don't know. But it's incumbent upon me to tell them like, no, seriously, it wasn't bad. This is great. I feel fine. And being real with them and not sugarcoating it, not telling them, oh, it's going to be smooth sailing. I've seen people who gotten a second shot who've had a few you know, minor symptoms, but that's to be expected. Your immune system is being giving a jolt. But I think just being open and honest about everything that's happening, answering their questions, and then role modeling the behaviors. Minorities are dying at a disproportionate rate from COVID. What systemic changes need to happen in order to change the course of these numbers? To me, bottom line is access to healthcare. There are a lot of minorities who suffer from chronic conditions that didn't have to become chronic. There are people who avoid going to the doctor because they can't afford it, because they had a bad experience one time. I think that especially improving access to care, which means making sure that there are doctors in their community within even walking distance for them, or maybe one bus or a quick 10-minute drive. There are places in communities where people have to drive 30, 45 minutes to reach care. That alone creates a barrier for people to access and get healthcare. And so I think that the root of it is the access to healthcare, the cost of healthcare. And if we were to be able to tackle those things, then people in minority populations would be able to see the doctor more frequently and get their conditions better managed so that if something like COVID hits their family, it isn't ravaging the whole family due to there are too many people living in the house or they are afraid to go to the doctor because they don't want the hospital bill or they can't even take the time off work because they don't have any sick time. So all of this is like sort of connected and it is definitely a big impact on the minority community because a lot of them have two or three of these things happening within their household or within their families. And so it's unfortunate if mom can't go to work and kid can't go to school, it all sort of snowballs. Chandra, I'm very frustrated in this community in general that turnout for municipal elections is so low. These elections are as important as any other election. What can we do to get people to realize how these elections are so important and just vote? We all think that voting in the presidential is the biggest deal, which, of course, we've seen it completely is a big deal. But the policies that are enacted on the local level have a far greater impact on you as a resident in that community than something that the president may enact because sometimes it's a long way down, but you have a bigger voice in your community. You can find your city council person, you can find your mayor, you know, even at the grocery store, you have better access to them. And so if you elect people locally that have similar values to you, then you know that they are going to enact policies that align best with your needs. They'll be thinking about you when they make decisions. I think that people maybe have election fatigue because 2020 was emotionally exhausting. That was 
a huge, huge election. And so to turn around and have municipals right away, it's like, we just did this. I just voted. But honestly, there's probably an election every year. And I think that people just need to come into the mindset that I am going to have to vote for something every year. And it's important to pay attention to all of these positions because, like I said, they have a greater impact on you locally because who do you talk to if your street needs a stop sign? You're not going to write the president. You're going to write your city council person. You're going to write your mayor. They're going to be the ones who can act quickly on your situation. I haven't voted yet, honestly. Can you tell me the ways that I can vote now, either in advance or on February 23rd? Absolutely. You can still request your ballot by mail through the county clerk's office or their website. And you can also vote in person early right now at Brookings. And then I believe it's February 16th. They open up more voting sites. And then, of course, you can vote day of at Brookings and other local voting spots on the 23rd. So yes, you can vote by mail still. The ballot boxes are not being used in this election. So if you do receive your ballot by mail, you'll have to mail it back or you can drop it off at the clerk's office. And it's not too late to support your campaign, right? I know you're active on Facebook and Twitter. What other ways can we support you? I know it's winter, but I would love for people to get out there with me and do some lit dropping. Lit drops go really quickly. You keep moving, so you may not feel the code too much. We're leaving a little piece of information in our neighbor's doors saying, hey, I'm Chandra. These are the things I would like to see in Ward 5. You can also phone bank from the comfort and warmth of your own home as well. I know a lot of people don't like phone banking, but it really does matter and help because when I pick up the phone and I call a potential voter, they're like, oh, thank you for calling. Most people are like, thank you for calling. I didn't know this or that. I hadn't realized there was an election. People sometimes just need to to be prodded. You noted that the voter count right now is sort of down in this municipal. People need to be reminded. And phone banking and and lit dropping are great ways to get involved with my campaign and encourage voters to get out. Chandra, you've been dealing with your own health issues while you are campaigning. Can you share any updates on how you're doing? Honestly, I'm doing fine. And I know fine is relative, but given all the circumstances, I think I'm doing pretty well. I have been dealing with bile duct cancer off and on for the last five years. And right now we're in an on moment. But other than that, things are going well. My outcome looks great. I do receive treatments and they're going well. There are days where I'm more tired than others, but who isn't? But that hasn't ever stopped me. As I said, I've been handling this for about five years now. And I've always worked full time. I've always done my extracurriculars. So literally there's nothing that I have not been able to do that I wanted to do. You talk about the need for healthcare and for helping others and for people that have to decide between medicine and putting food on the table for families. Healthcare is pretty personal to you is what you're saying. Absolutely. Because I have to navigate that system. I have to make some of those tough choices as to which medical bill gets paid this month or asking and seeking for financial assistance because chemo is expensive. I didn't realize how expensive until you see that EOB and it's like, oh, the amount they're charging is $20,000 just for this oncology visit. No medication involved, just visiting a specialist. 
yeah, healthcare is definitely personal to me and access for it, not just health insurance, but also making sure people are getting their regular checkups because that's how mine was found through just a simple regular checkup. I had no other symptoms. And so making sure that people have access to care regularly is definitely important. I have to say that I didn't know that you were sick. You have never complained. You don't ever talk about the woe is me attitude. How do you keep such an upbeat attitude and general feeling about life and about this race while you're still dealing with your own health issues? I don't know. I guess I always subscribe to the idea that even though I'm in a tough spot, somebody else might be in a tougher spot. I'm going to do what I can do while I can do it. Like I said, I have those down days. And then that's when I call my family. and I'm like frustrated and telling them the woe is me. And I have an incredible, incredible support system who I can turn to on those days. And they are the ones that lift me up. Sometimes people don't even realize that they're doing it. Like sometimes I get a card in the mail randomly. And it's just like, that's literally what I needed in that moment. And unbeknownst to them, it really goes to that concept of you never know what someone is going through. So we definitely have to keep that in mind and treat people with kindness and and give them a little grace and mercy. Are your treatments and your health, will they at all interfere in your ability to be an effective and fierce council member? Absolutely not. I still get up and go to work every day. And I'll still get up and fight for my community just as fiercely every single day because I know that what I'll be doing on the city council can be life or death for someone, for some people. And so I want to make sure that I'm accepting this role in this challenge with the idea of knowing I'm going to give my all to it. Chandra, I have to ask, your campaign has been centered around affordable housing, neighborhood preservation, safe and vibrant neighborhoods protecting the Urbana Free Library, and of course, public health. When people ask you, why are you running for this? If you have to pick the number one issue that's most near and dear to you, what is it? I would have to say affordable housing. Because as I said, if you have a warm place to go, then that sort of shuts down a lot of other issues that you may encounter, especially now when it's so cold. I mean, being able to go inside a home, close the door and feel the warmth that cuts down on trying to find somewhere to sleep at night that is warm, that alleviates some of the the crowds at the shelters, minimizes exposures to COVID by having your own home. And I think it also gives more character to neighborhoods as well. When you have affordable housing, you get a great mix of people and new neighbors are able to come in and create an even better, more diverse community as well. Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Chandra Bishop, thank you for your time today. Good luck and stay safe. Thank you, Elizabeth.